That would be correct. And today we're going to be talking about phobosophy, right? No. No. What? What did you even? Is that even a word? Phobosophy is a real thing. It's a fear of philosophy. Oh boy. <laughs> is this going to be our intro? Because this is awful. <laughs> Fuck it, let's just use it. <laughs> hey everyone, this is the Traveler. We have awful intros. Hi, I'm Dakota. <laughs> the awkward guy in the corner that doesn't like being spotlighted. <laughs> I'm going under the desk now. <laughs> <laughs> we should get a photo of you in your recording studio, like under the desk. Right. The, like the echoes are hitting the keyboard. The echo. Yeah, just like up moving the mouse. <laughs> <laughs> So the echoes are really good down here, so you know the wood absorbs the audio better than a high ceiling. So you know I just go under the desk. That's all. Mm, solid mm. logic. I like the physics here. <laughs> so we're going to talk today. This is going to be our first recorded philosophy talk. Who knows if it's going to be the first uploaded one? Yeah, probably. It's the first thing that people ask. So. Road philosophy, you know, being a vagabond, this is what this long episode's going to be about. And today we're going to talk about the financing behind it and how your mentality changes around the concept of money. Money's good. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, we weren't going to record today because uh, Dakota over here wanted to do overtime. Yeah, I wanted to do overtime. So at my work, we have, uh, you know, I work for the state at a transit company as a mechanic. So in the winter, it's all hands on deck because no matter how much it snows, the bus has still got to run. Um, so we have chain duty. And when it's snowing, they just call in everyone. So I wake up to a missed phone call um, from three this morning. I'm like, okay, well, I'll get ready, give them a call back, and uh, go make a little bit of extra money to buy more bike stuff. And uh, lo and behold, they don't need me anymore. Hmm. But that's fine. I really didn't want to go in anyway. As I said, that, that kind of hurts the self-esteem bit. Like, you know, I like to be needed. Yeah, well, I mean, they did, you know, by the time I called in, it was seven hours after <laughs> they called me. So. <laughs> Whatever. So, yeah. Um, so we're going to talk it, about the financing behind being a vagabond since I live on my bike full time. For those who don't know me, uh, I've been on my bike for three and a half years. I don't have a home base. I don't have anywhere to return to. And I have very minimal bills, and, you know, I just travel. I travel a lot. Um, so far, 17 countries. I think I'm at, like, 60,000 miles or something like that. I don't know. And people think it's expensive. And I'm going to tell you that right now it's not, and it's actually cheaper than having a house. But that's going to come with, as a two-sided thing. It's very – you have to sacrifice a lot, and it's a lot more work to live the way I do than to have a home to go home to every day. Doesn't that make it more fun and less uh, mundane? For me, it does. I mean, I hate stagnation. I hate scheduling and routine. Like, ugh. Awful. Ooh. Coyotes are out. I can hear them. Ooh. I'm hoping yeah, the audio I mean, doesn't pick it up. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of annoying. <laughs> and I'll probably go over the staying legal part, too, since it's kind of in, in tune with the financing. So I'll just say for right now, I've been on the road for three and a half years, and I have not... Filed my taxes for anything over, I think it was 10000 one year and 6500 6, another year. Uh, and uh, I actually didn't work last year. Um, so, yeah, it's not very expensive. I have a few documents that I wrote up about how much I've spent. I went to Europe. I did 15 days to go across from Romania to Austria. 
And during that time, I spent $521.45 on gas, food, and tolls. Now, be fair, that was 15 days, and that's very expensive for what I was doing. If I was touring like I do in the States, that 15-day trip would have been at least a month or two and would have cost less as the average. But usually what I do is I budget about $7 per day for food, and then gas is, is relative. I don't ride every day. So uh, two, to, two to four days a week, sometimes more, sometimes less. But when I had my Honda CB500X, I did 20,000 miles in 2017 on it. And I spent about, it was $900 in fuel, which is not bad. And then maybe another 100 while I was in Canada because I didn't include that in the cost. So say 1,000 bucks for the 2,000 miles or 20,000 miles. And if you average that out, I was on the road for... I see nine, 10 months, like nine months, I think it ends up not being a whole lot of money. Hmm. So what, what you said, $7 a day for food. Yeah. So that's going to depend on you. I don't eat out. Um, it's one what of those you, things. What do you get with $7? I, so you can do it a lot of different ways. Uh, a lot of people eat out when they travel, but people who travel are usually only out on the road for a week or two. And then have to go back to work. So they have income coming back. So they're like, oh, you know, I can blow the money on the $15. Because you're going to sit down. If you sit down to eat, what, 10 bucks for the meal? And then you have to tip and tax. So you're looking at $15 almost every time you sit down. I don't know where you're eating. I've never paid $10 for a meal. It's always way more than that. <laughs> well, let's average that out. So the West Coast is very expensive for food. Whereas in the, in the Midwest, you can get an omelet and hash browns and pancakes for like 9 bucks. That's fair. There is a place downtown in downtown where I live. I love going. It's an old mom and pop breakfast joint, and they make the best hash browns. It's so good. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all about where you choose to eat. So if you're going to local diners, you can get a burger and fries, usually eight or nine bucks, most of any state. But it still adds up because you've got tax, you've got tip. And mm -hmm. so what I do, I carry summer sausages, nuts, fresh fruits, fresh, fresh vegetables, uh, beef jerky. Sometimes I carry V8 and um cheese so it's all things that can hold on the bike and i buy it more in bulk so i'll buy the large packages mm. and that that keeps a very high protein diet the stuff lasts a long time um i'm pre-diabetic kind of so if i eat too many carbs i end up getting sugar crashes and i just feel like crap so i stick to a higher protein diet you can always there's a there's cheaper ways to do it you can do ramen you can do the $1 instant mashed potatoes, um, canned chicken, canned meats, uh, those can, you can end up keeping that under 10 bucks a day. So it's just the fact that you're not buying per day. You have to buy out over. So, you know, maybe I'll be buying summer sausage once a week, but I'll be buying, uh, a new, uh, box of nuts. <laughs> nuts. <laughs> nuts <and> sausage. <laughs> nuts <and> sausage. <laughs> That's Z's diet. Oh God. Uh -huh. <laughs> Ow. It's going so wrong. <laughs> Where did we go astray? <laughs> but so maybe I'll buy the summer sausages once a week. Maybe I'll buy cheese every three days, nuts every four days. I'll buy fresh fruit every two days. So when you average it out, it doesn't end up being that much. So that's one of the big things for costs when you're being a vagabond. Um, the other one's gas. So I have very fuel efficient motorcycles. I averaged 50, 40, 45 to 50 on my Honda CB500X. And I average about 50, 55 on my DR350. But when you're when you've got all the time in the world, you get better gas mileage because you're not 
there's no reason to rush. You're not pushing the bike at the high ends. You're not doing high speeds. You're not being throttle heavy. You're more relaxed and more consistent with your riding. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be one of the things that you're going to have to consider. And then you've got your insurance. I own my bikes. You know, I pay cash for them. And then my insurance I keep as liability because, well, my current bike's 28 years old. They wouldn't pay me anything for it. You might get $100. It wouldn't even be worth the cost of... I don't even know if they would do full insurance on it because it's, it's so worthless. Of course they would do full insurance on it. That's more money you have to give them. Come on, Z. It's all about money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that's that's what I talk about with financing. Those are actually my bills. But everyone, when they think about, oh my God, traveling's so expensive. Well, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, hotel 60 bucks a night. Um, eating out three times a day is 15 bucks. If I do eat out, it's one time a day and it's a late lunch, early mm-hmm. dinner. I do snacks in the morning, snacks in the evening, you know, snack throughout the day. And then maybe I'll sit down at a, at a, a cheap place, a dollar menu. I used to do a lot of Taco Bell and McDonald's dollar menus, which McDonald's doesn't have anymore. Neither does Taco Bell. Depends on what state you're in. No, Washington. Okay, West Coast. West Coast, nothing's a dollar. No, it's like a dollar fifty. Yeah, it's a dollar forty nine, and then I'm like, oh, I want two cheeseburgers. That's three dollars, but it used to be two dollars. Well, it's three dollars now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. There's also other tips that you can do. You can go to the deli section of grocery stores. You can buy. Mm -hmm. You can buy meats. You know, once once one sandwich worth of meat. Uh, cut mm. or you can buy their their hot deli is usually really cheap in most most grocery stores yep winco has a, a nice deli um we get uh whenever we go shopping there because you can buy everything in bulk um without having a costco membership which is nice so if you have a winco near you um the stuff is pretty reasonably priced but in the back in the deli the we always yeah they uh well and the bins too that's where you get all the all the you know you can get up three pounds of cereal for two dollars um but they have these sandwiches, pre-made sandwiches, and they're they're probably like six inch hoagies, and they're pretty stuffed. Dollar ninety nine. That one was on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, we're not supposed to say it on ourselves, but <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, you're leading us astray this time. That's that's what I meant. I don't live anywhere near the path. It's it just that's how I survive. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to save money on food. So, you know, this this is all the stats on being a vagabond, like how I do it. But we have to really talk about your mentality if you're going to do a long term travel. So maybe maybe you rent your house out and you want to go travel for a year. Okay, so you've got some passive income, or maybe they're just paying your mortgage, but you're going to come back. So it's a temporary thing. You need to change your mentality before you do it. It's 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 going to be a matter of like today. When I see something, am I going to carry it? Do I want to carry it? That's going to be the big thing. Like, do I have space for this on my bike? And do I want to actually carry it? Am I going to use it? And then if I didn't have space for it, would I get rid of it? In which case, you know, those answers tell me that maybe I shouldn't buy this. And then also, see see money as something different. You know, if I see $15 for a meal to have a burger and fries at a restaurant with a beer, that could be $15 dollars worth of gas which is you know three bucks a gallon that's five gallons at 50 gallon 50 miles to the gallon so we're looking at 250 miles so are you going to remember that burger and fries for 15 bucks or are you going to remember 250 miles worth of riding for 15 bucks mm-hmm. you know so it's it's a big mentality change you have to see money as a different thing 
Um, and let's talk about how you can make money as a vagabond. What I do is I stop to work, but I have a background and I have a lot of variety of skills. I've done a lot of different types of work. I'm very confident and I interview very well. So if I get to the interview, I've got the job. I don't mind working hard. I like doing manual labor. I have a lot of warehouse experience, which they're always hiring. I've got some construction experience. Uh, I can build and fix things. I've worked on conveyors. I can drive boom lifts, scissor lifts, forklifts, uh, cherry pickers. You know, I can drive just about anything that you need. Um, so what I'll do is I'll stop and I'll hit a, a, I'll stay with a friend. So, you know, I'll be like, oh, hey, can I stay at your house for a month or two? Um, a lot of people are really cool with it, actually, especially if you are really nice online and you post your travels. People really love it. And you staying in their guest room usually doesn't cost them a whole lot. You know, if you offer to pitch in food or, you know, slide them some money every once in a while. And then I hit up staffing agencies and I'm like, hey, this is the kind of work I'm looking for. This is the pay I want. I have experience, you know, and they'll find you a job. If you can show up to work on time and follow the rules and not play on your phone at work, everyone, every employer is going to love you today. It's just the, the work ethic is so poor that if you even have a remotely good one people will work you Mm-hmm. yep i agree unless, so you, unless you're going to a union then it's okay to be on your phone all day <laughs> well when you're in union it's okay to not even work that i'm not saying anything i'm <laughs> holding two uh, i need a lawyer <laughs> 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 I was uh, I was in the IBW for a bit. It was like, how many union electricians does it take to install a pipe? Uh, well, there's the six journeymen watching the one apprentice do all the work. That's pretty much, yeah, yeah, that's yep. pretty much how it is. <laughs> yeah, sure is. So, so I'm gonna have to work really hard here soon. <laughs> it works for me because I'm in my 20s. You know, I'm younger, um, and I haven't I didn't set myself up. So a lot of people who decide to become a vagabond and decide to live on their motorcycle. Oftentimes they're older, so they have different options. Some people retire early, you know, 20 years into a company. If you did it smart, you could be out by 38, 40, you know. So you've got the pensions. Um, I know some guys who work their rallies, so they live a different life than me. I travel the world, and I want to be off-key. Off I don't want to make what I do with my traveling work because I love what I do. And I don't want to make – like, when it comes work, it, it just takes away the fun of it for me. So – but there are a lot of guys out there. They go to the rallies. They go to Daytona. They go to Sturgis. You know, they're doing the events and they work them. They sell things or they have some companies they've hooked up with. And they make their money then and they're free around the rallies. Uh, there's remote working. I have a few friends who they have online jobs. So they can stop and get Wi-Fi or Airbnbs through the week. Uh, do their online work during the day. Like one guy, he, he changed states per month. He'd get an Airbnb for the month, work Monday through Friday, explore in the evenings, and then go out and camp on the weekends. So he'd explore the state, and then he'd change. So hmm. that's that's another way to do it. Then you've got passive income. I've got a few friends who have houses and other, but mostly just houses for rent. You know, they, they did the whole life thing. They're like, well, fuck this. I'm going to go live on the road now and be retarded, you know, because it's, it's insane life. It, it's, it's so weird. But they're like, you know what? screw this comfort crap, I'm going to rent my house out and go travel. So they get people in to rent their house and that's their passive income. And, you know, if you have your mortgage paid off and everything, depending on your value of your house, you could be getting two to, what, five grand a month? Oh, God, I don't even know. Well, if it's paid off, then then yeah. But if it's not, you could always bump up. Like my buddy, he went and uh, 
drove the country. Uh, I think he just got back earlier this month. He left in October, and he was driving around the country. He would actually um, Airbnb his house. Yeah, Airbnb is a good way to make money, actually. Um, you pay more for an Airbnb than you would for renting out per month. Mm-hmm. So you get more as as a an Airbnb host. It can be a little bit more of an issue because, like, you know, being a landowner, there's there's its own things. You've got to fix things. You have to trust people, and then people still screw stuff up. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the cool thing with Airbnb is you, from what I've what I've seen, because we've done a couple of Airbnbs before. Um, if you don't have a good rating, that hurts your uh, choices, because you know if if say. Uh, you know, uh, I went over to his house. I did the Airbnb thing, and I rented his house for two days, and I left it a mess. Um, then he has his neighbor. Um, he pays his neighbor to come and just check it out, make sure everything's good, you know, make sure the soap's full, all, all that stuff that you need to do for an Airbnb. And he'll be like, okay, well, the place was trashed, so um, my buddy would leave a bad review for that um, the guy who stayed there. And that hurts his rating, so maybe in the future – um, there's a really cool one in, in Leavenworth, for instance, that's, a, it's built in a rock and in, in, on the, in a cliffside. It's really cool, but the guy's really picky on who he lets stay there. You have to have a really good rating to stay there because he doesn't want it trashed. So people are a little more, um, concerned with leaving the place nice. So they have more options when it comes to Airbnb, Airbnb and finding cool places to stay. Cause there are some really cool places on Airbnb. If that may, yeah, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird, but it's better than renting the house out. Cause my mom rents her, her condo out in Virginia and she deals with shitty people all the time. She's had to evict like three people. And when you evict someone, they take everything. Even if yeah, it's not they, theirs. They get, they get pretty crappy. People can get really crappy with that, but mm-hmm. it is an option. Maybe you're lucky and you have a friend who will rent your house and you know, it'll be taken care of. So those are, those are about the only ways that I can think of to make money on the road. Either or there's also military. You know, um, I have a friend who's medically retired for the military, so he gets more money than just a regular pension mm. from them. Um, yeah, he's like six thousand percent disabled or whatever, so he gets like a whole bunch of stuff. Six thousand percent. I don't know. It, I think he said six hundred percent disabled due on their rating system because he died four times. I don't know. We'll wow. have him on the show eventually. <laughs> do, you, do you just get an extra 50% per death? It's like 100. Oh, he died. Add <laughs> another 50 onto that bad boy. <laughs> but if you did your 20 years in the military, you've got good. But if you only did like 15 or 17 years, you know, you're you're really reduced. But living as a vagabond, it doesn't take a lot of money, you know? Mm-mm. I think I average about three to 500 per month in the U.S. And I may average about that with Central and South America when I head down there. I don't know yet, but... What happens when I travel out of country, so when I was in Europe, gas went up, food went down. Oh, okay, I could see that. I could see yeah. that. Yeah, food's much cheaper in other countries. We have some of the most expensive food in the world. Well, that's because um, we have air chips, that's why. Air chips. Yeah, and, where you eat a whole bag of uh, chips, and you're like, I ate that entire bag of chips, and I feel nothing. <laughs> it was air. It's just air. So, yeah, we've got low-quality food that's really expensive, whereas in Europe and other countries, it's high-nutrition food for lower cost. You know, I could mm-hmm. sit down and eat in Romania for seven to eight bucks. I could get a pizza, a beer, and tip. Or I could get a whole meal and an appetizer and a beer for, like, ten bucks. Yep. 
I noticed that too in in Germany. We were in the outskirts of Germany near the near some I don't know the Alps or something. Um, it was in Andex, and we got this giant plate of food. It was like a ca- it was literally a cafeteria because it was in a monastery. Um, it was a giant cafeteria, but they had giant they had they served beer, but they had fresh pork that they would just cut off slices, throw it on your plate, and you'd go through. Oh, I want some of that nice German uh, potato salad, and I want some of this and that. 10 bucks. Oh, you want a beer? 12 bucks. Yeah. And even drinking over there, beers are usually one, two bucks. If you buy them at the store and mm-hmm. at a restaurant, like 250 is what I was paying in Romania, I think, 2250. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I found that in the U.S., you've got higher food, lower gas, you know, because we, we control the oil in the world. You know, that's, that's what our country's into. For but now. if you're in the Midwest, you know, gas is usually around two, two fifty. If you're on the coasts, like West Coast is more around three fifty, four bucks a gallon. Mm-hmm. Over there it's more six bucks a gallon. But again, your food went down. So I, I found it kinda evens out. And then I mean, what else what else do you think I'd spend money on Dakota? What else is there? Condoms. Well, I don't have that problem. I don't get laid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dildos. <laughs> Well, those are Sorry. reusable, so I'll I'll cut that one out. That one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else would you spend money on? Um, bike maintenance. Bike maintenance, yeah. There we go. So bike maintenance is going to be um, really subjective. It it depends on your bike. You know, I choose bikes that have low maintenance because I live on them. I want the low maintenance, uh, reliable tractors over the performance machines that are going to cost more. So usually what I do for planning, say I'm going to do a year and I'm going to do 20,000 miles. So in 20,000 miles, that's possibly, we'll just, we're just going to do really bad numbers. So maybe two chain and sprocket sets, you know, it's 10,000 miles per chain. You've got an oil change and we'll do a newer bike. So every 5,000 miles, if you're using synthetic, so it's four oil changes. Um, I usually use one front tire in that time and two backs. You know, I usually get twice as much in my front as I do in my back. If you're running more dirt, you're going to buy more often. If you're going to, if you're running more street, you buy them less. Um, and then, man, that's about it. You always have a little bit set back in case, you know, your headlight goes out or something. But, you know, a hundred bucks per chain and sprocket set. It's 200 bucks. An oil change for my Honda was 45. So we'll just say 50. Uh, and that's four oil changes. So that's 200 bucks. So that's 400 bucks for sprockets, chains, and oil for 20,000 miles. Um, tires, that's always going to be subjective. At the time, I was buying dual sport tires. So about mm. 150 a piece. And three tires. So that's uh, 450. So that's 850. And then, you know, tack on your extra. So, you know, maybe 1,000, 1,200 bucks for 20,000 miles. Now, think about this, though. That maintenance cost doesn't change over the mileage so for that twenty thousand miles that's what you're going to spend in parts now think about this you can do that twenty thousand miles in 20 days or you could do that twenty thousand miles in 12 months Mm. yeah so it's going to spread itself out that way so what about stuff like um you know because you 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 mentioned twenty thousand miles um i don't know what the intervals are for your dr350 um but for the klr tiger and the drc is actually more um but the kl and the tiger the um valve checks you'd have to probably do those twice in that twenty thousand miles so so add on that cost um you know that's that's seals and um, my honda was kind of expensive 
I, and I, I only did it twice, I think. I actually didn't do it much um, or as much as I should have, I guess, by the maintenance intervals. But that's, I think that was 250 for my bike. It was pretty expensive, but my DR I can do myself. It's really easy to do my own valves in my DR. Mm-hmm. Another reason to get a nice uh, single. It's really easy to check valves. Um, yeah. So you know, even on a twin or a triple or but but anything, even rebuilding the engine on a single is so easy in comparison to adding another piston in there. It is. It's a pain in the ass when you add another piston in there. But if it's just one, that's all you got to focus on is just that one piston. Yeah, so, so. The, the trade-off there is that you've got the twins. They're more comfortable for long distance, you know, mm-hmm. um, more power, all of that stuff. And you won't have to rebuild them very often. The single cylinders, you do have to do a top and rebuild uh, pretty frequently. But it's usually cheap and easy to do yourself. So you've got the more expensive, less maintenance, or you've got the cheaper and cheaper maintenance with more frequently. Mm-hmm. See, and that's so, that's where where I believe that that single having that single, even though it's a little more maintenance heavy when it comes to engine maintenance itself, is probably a better idea if you're going to be a vagabond because if you're working on a budget, um, say uh, and 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 uh, say we'll just use my uh, Tiger for instance, right? Because you can actually get those for pretty darn cheap in comparison to what they are new, um, or your CB, right? That's that's a twin. Mm-hmm. You take that into the dealer. And your twin for uh, you just got a valve check, right? And that was two hundred fifty bucks. It may have been three hundred bucks. I mean, it was okay. pretty expensive. Yeah, so three hundred bucks for the for the CB five hundred, right? You get a Beamer in there or a Tiger in there. Um, I know because I that's what pushed me to do the check on my own. Eight hundred dollars to do a valve check. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Ouch. And that's and 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 say you know you're you get uh, some bad gas um in somewhere podunk west virginia you get some bad gas okay that's that now you have an injector to replace now you possibly have two or three injectors to replace whereas um and don't even get me started if something happens it throws it throws a piston or it throws a ring or something now you have an engine rebuild to do and you don't you might as well just buy a new bike at that point because it's or a new engine at that point so yeah it's, it's more performance better for the road it, it does last longer between engine maintenance intervals when it comes to stuff like that. But when it comes, it, it'll eventually have to happen. You're eventually going to need to do it, right? Stuff wears out and bikes aren't built to go 150, 200,000 miles without any internal uh, engine maintenance. It, they, unless they it's just, a Victory or a Goldwing. Yeah, unless it's a, yeah, and that's because a Goldwing has a car engine in it. You know? Well, the victories are just as reliable as Goldwing. You got 150,000 yeah. miles on those engines before having to split them. But yeah. you're also paying for that. They're very expensive and they're also very heavy. Exactly. So if it, you have to keep in mind that eventually this engine maintenance has to be done. So um, this, I, I think that's why Z likes her DR350 so much is because she can do damn near everything on it. She could take the engine out and rebuild it, whereas on a uh say the cb or the tiger or um a ktm or a bmw you know anything that's a little more high even performance even a v-strom yeah anything that's a little more high performance one it's going to cost a ton if you take it to a shop or um it's, it's just more difficult to do the maintenance and there's a lot of people that don't want to do the maintenance because they don't feel comfortable doing the maintenance well with the smaller bike um 
you get a lot of you, you get that comfortability and um what's the word i'm looking for um your confidence you get confident working on that smaller single because it's super simple well yeah that's that's the thing that everyone is that's going to be listening to the show right now they're going to want to hear me say there's some magic way that i save money it's a mentality and it's also learning the change so when you work for a living time is money mm-hmm. well when you're a vagabond i've got all the time in the world i do i mean i don't say like i'm expecting to live forever but you know you learn to do your own maintenance that's the way you're going to save money is you need to be able to work on your own bike and don't get me wrong i did quite a few things to my cb 500x myself but i, I couldn't take the engine out of that bike confidently i have taken the entire engine out of my dr350 mm-hmm. and took it taken it to a friend to get help with the clutch you know like yeah. i've taken that bike apart i can put it back together there's hardly any fairings on it it's a very simple bike yes i have to wrench on it more yes i carry more tools for it but i've got the climber's manual i've got the owner's manual if i can't figure it out i guarantee you it's going to be one of the cheapest engines to even be worked on it also if i can't do it yeah, it's just it's a more simple, confidence-inspiring bike versus you know. I mean, when I but first got the you, Tiger, I did. But what I, if I want to do 800 miles in a day, and I'm over here like, but why would I want to do 800 miles in a day when I have plenty of time to do 800 miles over a week? See, and that's where the bike choice comes in. If you're willing to take on, if you know, if 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 you're going full-time vagabond, then you need to look at okay, well, realistically. Am I a mile cruncher or am I a sightseer or am I just, I want, I just want to relax and throttle on. Maybe I want to do 300 miles today. Maybe I don't, maybe I want to do 10 tomorrow. Funny about that. You know, funny about that. I, I like to call when I see, so I've been doing this three and a half years and most people, you know, when I started doing being a vagabond, there was a lot of people on the road, but most people get off the road within two years. Not many people make it past the three year mark. So, you know, I had to, I, I had to prove that I was going to do it because I knew I was going to, this is my life as I love living this way, but eventually people stop mm-hmm. and it's, it's so funny. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really good point here. <laughs> you get yeah. burnt out though. If you do those kind of miles every day, keep that in mind. You could be oh, a yeah. real hardcore endurance person. But eventually, if you're doing seven, eight hundred miles for three weeks on end, you're going to get burnt out quick. So, so what I do when I see these new people coming up being a vagabond, and I'm not talking shit. I love seeing everyone do this. I'm, I very much encourage everyone to do it, wherever you are, whoever you are, what bike you're on. But I kind of ment- mentally give people levels. So when people first get on the road, they're like, oh, I quit my job. I sold all my crap. I'm going to go on the road. And you'll see them and they'll ride every day. And if you watch them really closely, you'll see when that click starts and they realize they're not on a schedule anymore and they have all the time in the world to take their time. Because my first month on the road, I pushed miles. I, I rode every day. I have lots of regrets that I didn't stay at some of the campsites I'd found that were really cool and that I you know, passed up opportunities that came my way. But you'll see they'll, they'll slowly start adjusting and they'll flip. And they'll be like, oh, well, maybe I want to stay at this camp for two days. You know, I, I can do that. Huh. I can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you'll start seeing, seeing them slow down. So, I mean, people go through their phases, but when you're on the, on the road full time, you know, it's, it helps to think about it. Like, Hey, I'm not in a hurry. I've got a year, I've got two years, you know, 
maybe you only have two thousand dollars. Two thousand dollars can last me like four months. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's you know, and that's again making your choices and prioritizing what you spend your money on. But people will slow down. So the longer you've seen someone be on the road, you know, I know some travelers who have been on the road five or six years going around the world, and they'll find some small town in Nicaragua and they'll just stay there for a month. They're like, I like this place. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna explore here for a bit before I get back and on the, getting back on the road. And that's mm-hmm. the great freedom of being a vagabond is you got that choice. Yeah, and and I noticed because um, I'm not a vagabond. You know, I'm I'm more of a, in in layman's terms a weekend warrior as they say you know i use i work for a company that gives me enough pto to take my vacations right and that's what i gotta do until i figure my shit out but when i did my two-week motorcycle trip um i i could tell that i needed it that that i needed it you know uh, because it took all of 72 hours before i lost track of time didn't even know what day it was didn't give a shit. The only thing I had to do was wake up and ride my bike. You know, that was it. And that's how I could tell that, okay, I needed this vacation. 100%. Yeah, when, yeah. when you work, you're so used to scheduling everything. You know, you've got your five days you work a week, you know, if you're lucky. And then mm-hmm. you've got your two days off. And on your days off, people schedule the shit out of them. They're like, okay, I got to mow the lawn. I want to see my friends. And I want to watch a TV show. And they're, they're sitting here and they're just, you know, scheduling the crap out of themselves for their, you know, what's supposed to be relaxing free time. Mm-hmm. That's why and, I hate planning when, everything. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and as a vagabond, you don't plan. You know, everyone's, they ask me, where are you going today? Oh, well, I'm, I'm kind of heading, planning to head north, but you never know. Maybe I'm at a gas station and someone's like, hey, you want to go ride with me? Or, hey, you want to come over? Or, hey, there's a party going on tonight. Or, hey, there's this thing. And it's like, now I'm going east. I don't care. I'm, I, I am full-time able to do whatever I want. And those opportunities that come up like that, I'm a yes man. I love to say yes to these things because now I'm making friends. I've got new experiences and I've got the time, you know, and also when you're living on the road full time, if you post on social media, which I do, and I I do it because I love it and people love what I do and they invite me over. So someone invites you over, that's say you stay there for two or three days, you know, you meet the family, you go for a ride with them, you know, you tell them some stories, you have a really great time and make cool friends, but that's probably two or three days you're not buying food. Mm-hmm. And that's two or three days that you may not be riding, you know, like a lot of times when I go to someone's house, they slap me on their boats, you know, we go out and see dues, they go, they take me in their truck somewhere, you know, like I'm not riding or eating. So, you know, that, that extends how, how your money goes as well. And it also helps you make friends. Like, it sounds shitty that this is how you save money. Don't do it to save money. Do it to make friends. But the added benefit is that it costs you less. And that's three more days you can tack onto the end of your, tra- you know, your money. It's kind of interesting how that works, huh? Like, say, um, you know, when when people have stuff, they're so willing to let you use their stuff. Like, my buddy, um, before I had, I went down to one bike, I had two bikes, and now I have two bikes again. But when I had um, the Tiger and the KLR, I was just, you know, anyone that I was talking to, I'd be like, hey, well, I mean, I got a spare bike here if you want to come over and ride, you know? It's just just because you make a friend. It's cool. It's the people that have the means like you said, the sea dues or the boats and stuff, they're really willing to let their friend use it when it comes time to just kind of hanging out. It's, it's well, the whole point of loving something is to share it with people yeah. you care about. So, you know, whenever I stop and I have two bikes, it'll always be like, come over and ride. You know, if I, people don't, 
never do you see someone just buy one sea You buy them in twos because you want to be able to take your friend with you. Yep. These are things that you want to do for fun and to make, you know, connections and memories with other people. You know, I, I love my memories of riding by myself all day, going out and finding a campsite. That's no traffic. I'm by myself. It's very relaxing. But I love those days just as much as I love the days that I meet someone on the road randomly or people that I intentionally meet that, you know, follow me on social media. And I do whatever they want to do, you know, like they, they want to go show me their town. They want to go show me their horses. They want to take me out and go on the boat, you know, like those are all amazing, amazing memories. And when you're, when you're first getting on the road or if you're on a vacation time, you don't have time to do those detours because you've got things in mind that you want to do. So again, this is about being a vagabond. I'm not knocking people who do one or two week vacations or three week vacations and then go back to work. It's just things change a lot when you hit the road full time. Yeah, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's why I'm here talking about it. And I get the same questions all the time, like, oh, that must be so expensive, you know, whatever, whatever. And it's not. But again, I'm young, so I can camp rough. You know, I've camped in really bad conditions. But most people that I know that are vagabonds, they usually have enough money set back for about a hotel per week. But it's all about, you know, what's what's important to you. So for me, 60 bucks, that's going to make me stop to work. And if I'm making 15 bucks an hour, you know, taxes taken out, probably like 10 bucks an hour. That's six hours worth of work for that one room. Yeah. yeah. Or I when could you, just be a little cold tonight. Yeah, that's that's how uh, when I was making quite a bit less than I do now, that's how I, I mean, I still rationalize it that way, is when you buy something a little expensive, you know, 60, 70, maybe 100 bucks, you know, I look at it as hours of work because time is money. It's like, okay, well, this is going to cost me, you know, three hours of work. Uh, I guess I don't really need it for that, <laughs> for that and much. And the necessity you know? of, of saving money when you're a vagabond is, is you know, that's the, what is it, like the necessity is the mother of ingenuity or uh, whatever. No, something of, crea- uh, was it necessity is the mother of creativity or something like that? Something like that. It's it's when you're when you need to do something is when you get good at it. So mm-hmm. when you need to learn how to work on your bike, you're more motivated when you realize that it's expensive to pay other people to work on your bike. And, you know, working yeah. on your own bike is also a really great spiritual experience with the motorcycle. I get attached to my bikes. I was with my Honda for two years and I slept next to that bike. We went through a lot of shit together. I mean, I spent more time with that bike than all the people combined. Mm. You know, that's many, many hours of me riding the bike, working on the bike, fixing the bike, uh, getting stuck on trails with the bike sleeping next to the bike camping with the bike i mean you get really attached and working on them you know it gives you the confidence of like hey i know i'm the one who turned the bolt on that caliper so i'm pretty sure i did a good job and if i didn't well that was my fault yep yep do you do your own tires too um no i usually take them off so with my honda i had a center stand and i take them off and pay the 20 or 40 bucks to have someone else mount them mm-hmm. uh, that was with the honda though and that was tubeless tires and much bigger I'm mm-hmm. now on the DR350, so I've got skinnier tires, and I've got spoons now. So I am hoping to start mounting my own tires. That's usually the, the only thing I outsourced. I do my own oil changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even bought Honda oil for my Honda. My DR, wow. I just bought Yeah, I know. I spoiled that bitch. Yeah, you did. Yeah, synthetic Honda oil. And then my DR now, I run oil from AutoZone or O'Reilly's. It's just, just good old-fashioned Rotella. 
Oh, I didn't do Rotella. It's actually motorcycle oil, but it's like six bucks a quart. I burn oil too, so. Rotella is my... motorcycle oil, just saying. It technically it is. I'm not putting that in my deep. <laughs> oh, it would love it though. My actually, my K, my KLR used to it used to run okay um, with the the cow the cowie oil because I did when I first got it. You know, I didn't know anything about bikes. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just run the regular Kawasaki oil from the dealership. Well, that got expensive pretty quick. And I'm like, this is a cheap bike. I'm not gonna, you know, put seventy five dollars into an oil change. It's ridiculous. So uh, I just got Rotella, and it ran way better. Um, well, there's a lot it, of people who just, have run yeah. Rotella and KLRs. My DR is kind of particular. Like he's he's really? kind of a finicky bike. Hmm. That's weird. Even my Tiger runs Rotella. Hmm. Yeah, I run Rotella in everything except my car. If I could run it in my car, I would, but I can't. <laughs> I just use the. <laughs> um, I think it's five W twenty, five W thirty. Mm -hmm. uh four stroke motorcycle oil it's six bucks a quart and then for the honda it was 10 bucks a quart so again picking your bikes some bikes like my victory an oil change on my victory doing it myself is still like 80 bucks doing an oil change and a primary change on a, on a harley doing it yourself is still 80 90 bucks mm -hmm. um compared to my dr doing an oil change it takes three quarts so three times six that's 18 bucks and, and an oil filter is like five bucks and i use Holy like cow. the Three high... quarts, really? Wow. Yeah, I don't, Dang. I don't hold a lot, you know. No, that that I think that's a, that's actually a lot. Oh uh, well, it, yeah, it's three. I think it's, yeah, it's, I think it's three. Yeah, it's yeah, three. Yeah, my my DRZ the four hundred, it's like barely two. Maybe it is two. I mean, it would make sense depending on how many, and that's that's another thing when you look at your bikes and whatnot, and um, when it comes to maintenance on it, oil changes specifically, because that'll be the most frequent thing you're doing um how much oil it holds correlates to how far you can go before an oil change so yeah, if yours, if yours like, does hold three you could easily go 25 3,000 miles in, between oil changes whereas if it holds two you know now you're dropping that significantly because that's that oil there's not much oil there and it doesn't take long for that little bit of oil to go bad you know yeah, so. I do. I do every three thousand on the Suzuki, and I did every five thousand on the Honda because I was running synthetic. Mm -hmm. But my Suzuki burns, so I put oil mm -hmm. in it all the time. Oh uh, yeah, so you're just, constantly you, putting more in. Yeah, but you do need to still change that filter. But it, again, look at your bike. You know, I started out on the on the Victory. It was called the Cross Country, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to go cross country, right? <laughs> and then I realized it really wasn't a good bike for living on because of the cost, and it just wasn't good off road. Um, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to camp for free and again, that's, that's being a vagabond hotel for 60 bucks a night, or you're going to camp in the national forest where you already have your gear and it kind of, it doesn't really equal out. I say, I save more money. I spent about a thousand bucks for my sleeping kit for my camping gear. You know, I've got a really good tarp, a really good hammock, a really good pad and a quilt to stay warm and dry. But I use this stuff so much. It's worth the investment. You know, it comes down to being cents per day about how much i spent and how long the gear lasts well let's let me just do some quick math here while you're talking you said so yeah we'll say well shoot 60 because that's more that's more like motel hotels it's closer to 100 120 like you know like a marriott you know or you know something that more people are more likely to go to like you know but like there, it takes us i feel like it takes a specific person to be you know go to go and stay in motels 
for sure. Well, a lot of people do ma and pa places. They can be pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. And again, you have to think about this. This is this is for America. This is for North America, for the U.S. America. specifically at prices. Yeah. Um, if you're going to be over in Europe or Central and South America, like West Eastern Europe, I should say, you can get a room for like seven, five to five to ten bucks a night if it's really cheap, and maybe fifteen twenty on the high end. Like it's much cheaper if you go and travel the world. So, are you going to be a U.S. vagabond, or are you going to start exploring the exploring the world? Because I'm just going to be here to tell you that the U.S. is pretty expensive in a lot of ways. Whereas you could go to Mexico, Central South America, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, Eastern Europe, and food's cheaper, gas is more expensive, but you can be on smaller bikes because that's what everyone else is doing. And then um, cheap accommodations if you want to pay. You know, hostels are really cheap. So actually, I have a question about that when you, because you went, so did you transport your bike to other countries or did you just rent a new one when you got there or buy a new one or whatever? So I went to Eastern Europe. That was an invitation from a friend who had a motorcycle tour company. And she's mm-hmm. like, hey, you come over, promote my business, and I'll give you a bike. Cool. So I had okay. a bike when I got there. Now, when I do go back, I do want to go back to Eastern Europe because I loved it so much. And I want to do much more exploring there. I'm going to buy a bike. So, again, look at the cost. I have a, my DR350 I paid two grand for. Why would I spend two grand to transport that to another country when I could just fly to that country and buy a bike there? Yep, that's that was that was my question when it comes to because it's like if you bring your bike there, you got to pay uh, export import fees, import yeah. car, uh, carnets. Is that what they're called? I don't know if you need a a carnet for a person or just a vehicle. You've got a lot of fees. Like There's gotta... a lot of fees and permits that you have to have to bring your mm-hmm. own vehicle in. Um, but that's also something like, but Europe's huge. Um, I don't know if every country you need a special permit to go into. I don't, I don't know. That's more. They're all going to have import and export. Mm-hmm. But you've also got just the cargo itself. I've never seen anyone be able to transport a bike for less than a grand. Yeah. I, unless, so... it's, unless it's you can palletize it, which, you know, Ed March would palletize his C90. That's a tiny bike, though. Mm-hmm. If you're a regular sized motorcycle, and then shipping is a pain. You have to drain all the fluids out of them, the oils, the gas. They have to have the tires taken off. They have to be strapped to a pallet. And then you got to wait for it. You know, I know a lot of people who ship their bikes and it got delayed three weeks. So now they're stuck in some country for three weeks without their motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And some countries, they're really picky. I know Australia, if you import a bike over there, it has to be spotless. Oh, wow. It has uh, to China, be you very, can't even very take clean. A, you can't even cross the Chinese border with a, a bike over a certain CC. They've got laws on that shit. Yeah, well, it's it's China. Well, there's a lot of countries that have CC restrictions. So, you know, there's a lot of issues with, with transporting a bike. If you want to, go for it. Mm-hmm. But I find it easier just to fly to another country. And, like, I'm going to Central and South America this year. I'm riding down there. If Whenever I go over to Europe, of course I have to fly. I'm going to go there. I'm going to pick a country, you know, and I I learned enough while I was there to figure out which countries I'd want to go for. You know, if you're part of the union, it's easier to get caught with the toll cameras. If you're not part of the union, you know, kind of get away with more shit on the road. Um, You know, make a friend, you know, you got to have an address and then you buy a bike there. You can buy something the locals use, which means you can find parts. You know, people are like, I want to take my rare as fuck bike around the world. Then I'm like, 
cool. So no one knows how to work on it. You can't find parts. And it probably is not a bike that you can just fab something because it's probably newer and precisely machined. That sounds like a great idea. Oh, well, I'll just get the parts imported. Have you looked at importing parts to third world countries? Some places you can't get shit into. Oh, man, just look on any Facebook group when some guy from uh, Brazil is asking for parts and they're just like, okay, well, I want to buy that used part because importing it over here is more than the part itself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're going to do world travels, think about that. Your your bike is going to be your cost. You know, that's that's carrying your stuff. You're going to put a lot of wear onto it. And it's just easier. Like my DR350 has been around since the, the 90s. And, when, and they're still very popular and made in Central and South America. So there's going to be old bikes laying around that you can scavenge off of. You know, there's probably some parts that can be get taken off the 650s or the 200s or the 400s. You know, there's a big line that I can pull off of. Same thing with KLRs, the XRs, the WRs. They've been around a long time. Even the DRZs, they've been around since 2000. And all the parts match. Yeah, and smaller countries or third world countries like smaller bikes. A 250 mm-hmm. is a large bike in the rest of the world, guys. Like, they do not have 600 very often. They and they certainly don't have thousand cc's in Costa Rica or Panama or Chile. You know, they do have them in Eastern Europe, but Southeast Asia also they have 100 to 250 cc's, and they have a bigger variety than we have here. Mm. Yeah. So we're, you can we're American. We need big backs. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, that market's changing. <laughs> But I know all those guys are dying. Well, it's Honda kind of started that with the whole Americans are Harley. huge. We need to make big Honda. No, when Honda started really? putting bikes over in this country. Yeah, they're like Americans are huge. We got to make these big, big ass bikes. And they well, still won't listen to Harley's, us. Harley's always made big bikes, though. Yeah, but they didn't used to be as big and, and bulky and heavy as they are today. If you look mm-hmm. at the 1970s and, and uh, 80s on the Harleys, they weren't that bad. No, I guess not. But when Honda started making bikes, they're like, oh, all Americans are like 6'2", and they're like 300 pounds, so we're going to make bikes for people that size. So the rest They thought of we were fat from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so they brought big bikes over. But, you know, it's something to think about. These are the costs. These are the things that I, I can think of to, to make people realize, if you're going to be a vagabond, change the way you think about money, you know? Um, I do have a souvenir collection. I collect charms. But even with that, you know, I'm, I'm still, a, I'm a very frugal shopper. I, I'll spend, I'll sure, I'll spend three hundred fifty dollars on my quilt, but I'm not going to spend twenty bucks on a trinket I don't want. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to spend anything I don't need to. When I can buy it from Walmart, I buy it from Walmart. And then there's lots of free stuff out there. People give away stuff all the time. You get lucky sometimes. Uh, you can trade. You know, you can trade. I, I oftentimes actually when I go to people's houses, they're workers. They come. They have me over because they work for the house, and I'm like, I have time, and I can come over, and we can tell stories, and you know, I can teach you whatever I can teach you, and but they usually have work to do, so I've made lots of cash doing yard work. You know, like, hey, I'll, I can you know trim that tree for you, or I can mow your yard, I can you know clean up this brush, you know, I can clean your garage, or you know, there's lots of little projects I've done for people, and it's a good way to make cash on the road. So there's so many benefits to meeting people along the way. Mm, I'd pay you to clean my garage. It's always a mess. Exactly. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. I have money and you have or I have time, you have money. There we go. Yeah, that's that's fair. So it's it's that changing the mentality. When you work, 
you have money and no time. When you're a vagabond, you have time and no money. So hopefully these are all things that you guys think about as you become a vagabond, if that's what your intention is, or if you're just curious. I'm sorry there's not some magic like, woo, this is, you know, this is the answer to, to the financing of a vagabond, because it's the most frequent question people ask. Well, I know what the, the, I know what the magic answer is. It's just a little risky. That's all. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just changing the way you think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, other than your outright costs, which is buying the bike and the gear, you've got your daily costs, which is food and gas and maintenance. And then if you have any other bills, that's your problem. How important is that subscription to Netflix to you? Do you want to pay t- 10 or 20 bucks a month for it? How much is your cell phone bill? You know, do you really need a cell phone? Do you really need to be on the, the $150 plan a month? Or can you go and get the prepaid plans for 30 bucks a month? Yeah. yeah. Wi-Fi is <laughs> everywhere. That'd be funny. <laughs> That'd be funny. My whole, I have a shitty phone. The whole reason I went to a vagabond is find a good cell connection. <laughs> I just travel around looking for 4G. <laughs> well, there's Wi-Fi everywhere, so it's not even like there you really, really need is. the phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every every fast food restaurant has Wi-Fi. I mean, it's you don't need cell phone service. I've gone without it before. It does help. It makes your life easier because when you don't have cell phone service, you have to pre-plan a lot. Like. You know, I go find my free campsites and I pin those on my map. I have to have off- offline maps. You know, I have to do a lot of things that are saved to my phone. Mm-hmm. But it's it's totally doable. You don't need to have service. And if you do, there's much cheaper options than having the, the, the plans with AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. And by the way, the only two that really matter are Verizon and AT&T. Yeah. The rest of them don't even don't even bother. Like, they, especially Sprint, you're not going to have service anyways. There's no point in paying for it. I feel like they got bought out by someone. I don't see the Sprint guy anymore. I think they're going through a change. But again, I'm on a friend's plan. It was ten bucks a month for him to add me to his plan. So if you you know set things up, you know look for your opportunities to save money. Now it's ten bucks a month in someone else's plan. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got friends, you got family, you could prepay for a year, or maybe they're nice enough just to pay for it since it's not really an additional much to their bill and they like you that much you know be like yeah. that really helps <laughs> that, that that is true be yeah yeah don't be a dick yeah if you're a dick like you know I, I had a problem with another vagabond and it ended up going to a criminal court case because of what he did you know that ruins your reputation so don't be an asshole and you'll be fine so i think that's all mm-hmm. i really had to say about this yeah pretty pretty straightforward so an hour-long podcast, and the answer is there is no answer. <laughs> yep. Just change the way you think and realize that you've got time and not money. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's out of here. That's This is E-Traveler. Goodbye. Goodbye.